Hello, and welcome back to Now Streaming, episode 70. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week we're talking about the 2019 Netflix horror movie, In the Tall Grass. We did not come to you last week uh, (laughs) pre-Halloween, as we had hoped. No, we had so many Halloween activities. Yes. And and now we are on schedule. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually going to release an episode out on time, but not early as we had hoped. So we hope you all had a happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Um, and as we're we did. Back to our regularly scheduled uh, year-round spooky season, mm-hmm. as opposed to the culturally acceptable month, <laughs> which went by way too fast. It was unreal this year. I cannot believe. Like I didn't get to do any of the things I want. Not any of the things. I didn't get to do a lot of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to go back to a haunted house, and I didn't do it. And I'm really disappointed. Yeah. I just feel like October flew by. It did. Well, here we are in November, talking about In the Tall Grass, which is a Netflix film that came out in October. It is an adaptation of Stephen King and Joe Hill's 2012 novella, Mm -hmm. also called In the Tall Grass. I feel like uh, Stephen King binds us and surrounds us these days. He does. I'm currently reading one of his books. Which one? It. (laughs) To no one's surprise, as we discussed extensively. Uh, but I last um, episode, I read Pet Cemetery last month, also. Yeah, and I read a Joe Hill book, also. I read Heart Shaped Box. Oh, you're a big Joe Hill fan. I though. am much. I'm actually much more a Joe Hill fan. Um, his books, Nosferatu, or no, like Nos Four A Two, Heart Shaped Box, and then he also wrote Horns, which I have not read, but a friend of mine is reading. Um, I think that he, they're similarly dark, but he tends to take his father's, what I consider, mistakes Stephen King has made. Well, he makes mistakes. In his writing. Yeah, he is not perfect. Um, and kind of fix them and update them. And he is he is the Stephen King of our time, I believe. Interesting. Um, he just it does not put books out at nearly the same. I think that's a good thing. I agree. It means he's working harder on them, not to drag Stephen King. Actually, to drag Stephen King a lot. But (laughs) I love Joe Hill. Um, This doesn't have necessarily his fingerprints on it in the way that I would typically expect, but I have not read the novella, so I can't actually speak very much to it. This movie was written and directed by Vincenzo Natale, who we have talked about before because he wrote and directed... uh, Haunter. A movie we liked, but yes. did not love. Discussed also a time loop movie, is it not? This... Is it? Doesn't she experience the same day every day? She does. Because isn't that how she's like, she has issues with her parents and her he mom. He didn't write was... Haunter, by the way, for the record. Okay, but he likes to direct time yeah. travel He also movies. made Cube and Splice. I have not seen them. We talked about those, I don't know, 20 episodes ago. Uh, <laughs> now we're we caught in a time loop where we just talk about Vincenzo Nazali. <laughs> oh my god, the time loop was inside us all along. So you just dropped a pretty big spoiler for this. Sorry. Time travel, um, baby. Is it a spoiler? Would you not say it's the plot? It is the plot, but... But it, you don't realize that's going to be that until like 30 minutes in. We both, I think, kind of liked this movie. Kind of liked it. It's not we. like <laughs> necessary. It's not, a, it's not a classic. No, it didn't like change our lives. The way that I actually feel like a very similar movie called Mind Games actually did like... It didn't change my life, but I feel myself bringing it up all the time because it's, I think it so perfectly nails what it's trying to do in terms of time. And I think that other movies that don't do that as much, other movies that don't nail it, 
always fall short of mind games. And it's, it's for some reason, the baseline of my, like... Well, it's also one of our great discoveries on this podcast. Yes. So should we talk about the plot of this movie? Yeah, why not? It's about two siblings. Cal and Becky. Becky. (laughs) She's pregnant. She is. She's driving to San Diego to give the baby to some other people. We don't know that yet, though. Well, it's a weird twist later that she was going to give the baby up. I'm not interested in preserving that twist. (laughs) Um, They're going to San Diego and they're in Kansas and they're driving by a field of tall grass. That tall, tall grass. That titular tall grass. That we've heard about so much. And there's a child who's like, help me, help me. And they are nice people. They get out of the car and go help him. And go help him. And then they're forever in the tall grass for the rest of the movie. Yes, because the thing that's weird about this movie right off the bat is that they're hearing this like child call for help. They figure out his name is Tobin yeah. via talking to him because like, and the thing about the tall grass is that it just never really seems to, they don't ever really seem to get closer to each other. Like it doesn't, it clearly does not have. Oh, we haven't talked about the mechanics. Physical yeah. properties of real tall grass because they're they seem to be right next to each other and then they move in the direction of their voices, but then they get farther away. There's a whole bit where she and Cal, Becky and Cal, try to jump to see each other and it works the first time, but then it doesn't work the second time she jumps and there's like no one there, which is very creepy. I think that really worked for me. Um, but when they find Tobin, he is clearly not really the child they've been looking for. Like he is, his name is Tobin, but he has clearly been here for a very long time and no longer needs their help in the same way. Right? Like, no, he starts saying things like the rock teaches you how to hear the grass. Right. The which grass he always everything. knows everything. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I know who you're looking for because the grass told me and that kind of creepy shit. So. Um, do we want to talk about the, like what this field of grass is? If you want to. Do you, do you know what the field of grass is? I don't know. Uh, I just want to say like, they wander in here and like, the rest of the movie takes place in this grass once, there's another character we'll talk about, or two I guess, that we'll talk about in a second. Three. Two important ones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, like, this is a movie, like, shot between, like, stalks of fucking tall plants. Yeah. Um, there is inexplicably a bowling alley in this tall grass. Still in the tall grass. Yeah. Not and then there's a church that's outside the The church grass. is outside the tall grass. Yes. Um, the bulk of this movie is them, like, trying to find each other wandering through this grass. Uh-huh. Uh, and this field of dreams is uh <laughs> if you build it they will come that's kind of real both both setting and antagonist yes um this is in fact a a horror movie about evil grass it sure is uh and an evil rock and an evil rock uh okay so becky finds patrick wilson whose name i don't know what is, it is ross ross he's a real estate agent he's looking for his wife and child tobin, tobin um Cal finds Tobin, takes him to the rock. It's just a big, big Tobin, old rock. Tobin takes Cal to the rock. Yes. yes. And we also learn that the field, the grass doesn't move dead things around. Yes. They have discussed that. So if there's, there's a, a dead dog in here There's somewhere. a dead dog, and that's how you know that that's a place. Because otherwise, you get confused. Yes. Because you're lost in this, like... Even if you have a really good sense of direction, like, just because you go east doesn't mean you'll actually, like, wind up somewhere. Right. Introducing Travis. He's looking for Cal and Becky. They've been missing for months. He is 
uh, the father of Becky's child. Right. Who they have talked about briefly of just being like kind of a piece a of shit beat, dude. Yeah. Who like told her to get an abortion and like didn't, wasn't good to her about it. And so they broke up, but he is the one looking for them. And he goes into the talk. Well, he also pulls up and does he hear them talking to each other? I don't remember. He hears Tobin again, but then well, he, he finds I, Tobin first. He all, but he, I think he also comes in because he hears Cal and Becky yelling to each other. I'm almost completely sure. Regardless, he enters the tall grass. Uh-huh. He finds Tobin. Tobin's a like, different Tobin, though. Well, right? that that Tobin's like, oh, you don't remember how we know each other? Uh, nothing else in here matters except for us because we're connected. Oh, and he takes him to Becky's dead body. He takes him to Becky's dead body, but like Becky's dead body is like both emaciated and rotted. Yeah. Like, it's, like, been decomposing. Yep. Then, I think, is when he hears Becky and Cal, and they all meet up. But, the, but he meets up with a different Tobin. No! He, he He's in the grass, he starts yelling, and then doesn't Tobin and Ross and his wife pull up, and they come in to get him? They come in to help Travis. Oh, This yeah. is where the time shit starts happening. So, up to this point... Ross and his wife and Tobin are in the tall grass. Becky and Cal are in the tall grass and Travis is in the tall grass. And one of the Tobins that the first Tobin he meets is like, what up? I already know who you are. I already know know you're looking um, for Becky. And he's dirty. That's dirty. Rock, like rock lover. (laughs) Yeah. Who believes in the rock and the grass or whatever. So then he's wandering around screaming, I feel like, because he's just seen Becky's dead body. It's the next morning. He and Tobin get separated. Oh, yeah, because it's daytime again. He meets Tobin originally in the darkness. He falls asleep. He wakes up. He starts calling for people, I guess. Because I, I wonder I if think he, he's think, looking for Becky and Cal. Yeah, he hears he hears voices and he's calling for them. And we realize that Tobin and Ross and the mother, the mother and wife, are outside of the grass. This is like pre them ever coming into the grass. And they hear Travis screaming. And, and they're like, we got to go save him. That lures them Oh, in. and Freddie, the dog, runs in also. Yes. He runs in. The kid runs after him. Now they're all in there, and now Travis is somehow precedes baby, this new baby Tobin, who is a sweetheart and, like, never did anything wrong. So this is the point at which this this movie is just blown wide open because, like, sure, it was about evil grass. Now it's about time-traveling, time-loop evil grass. Yeah, now it's about some weird time shit Yeah. Um, that I will say, having seen the whole movie, I don't know what the fuck's going on. No, me neither. It is not explained how... Travis is the impetus for Tobin to come in, even though... Because then Tobin is what brings Cal and Becky in. So if Travis precedes them, he came in looking for Becky and Cal, but is also the reason that Becky and Cal are here. Yes. So, like, that is something. Eventually, they all meet up. Cal, Becky, Travis, Tobin, Ross. And the wife, eventually. That's later. No, she is not part of this. Uh, They meet up at Freddy's decomposed corpse oh is ross there i believe so hmm. um, or he shows up in the middle of the scene yeah Becky he gets a call from he's know, cal ross th- is not there for that so the, for a little while it's becky cal uh travis and tobin are like a little family wandering around together they meet up at freddie's corpse because they're like the, the you know the grass can't move dead things so that's it was travis's idea to be like freddie if you're or uh tobin if you're with freddie do not move. We're going to come to you. That's how they find each other. This doesn't really make sense because how would they find their way to this the movie dead doesn't dog? Make any sense. Whatever. That's how they find each other. And then they walk for a really long time with Tobin on Travis's shoulders because he can see the church. And if they can just walk in the direction of the church and they spend a really long time walking together, Becky gets really weak. She has to be carried for part of this. 
She's having pregnancy issues. And then she gets the phone call that you're about to talk about where does she know that it's her herself that she hears? No. She hears someone saying, don't let Cal hurt Travis. Don't leave him. Or we're just going to keep making the same mistakes forever. So they get that phone call. She's like, who the hell is this? Then Patrick Wilson shows up. He takes them to the Black Rock. Because they've lost the church. The second that Tobin comes down off his shoulders, they can't find the church church. anymore. He says it's the center of the center of the contiguous U.S. This rock is. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is like, you just got to touch the rock, man. Just touch the rock and you'll understand. Then Tobin's mom runs out and is like, don't listen to him. Don't touch the rock. Patrick Wilson's lying. He says my favorite line uh, of this movie that I thought was so unbelievably hilarious. Do you remember what it is? What? He goes, they're all like arguing and he goes, oh, I get it. This is about oh, me. I have, I have the quote written down, which is, the rock wouldn't let you find us unless it wanted you to, unless this isn't about you. Right. Oh, I get it. This is about, about me. me. And the way he says it is so unbelievably funny. I just like laughed out loud. He's like, okay. So he goes to the mom who's working against his master plan and huh. says to his son who is watching, it's just flesh. And all flesh is grass, and then crushes the mom's skull with his squeezes her head with his bare hands until it explodes. It is they something. So everyone, the the everyone, Tobin, Cal, Becky, Travis, run from this fucking psychopath. Yes, (laughs) and he calls after them. Save your breath, kids. You can't run from redemption. And this is the point at which I was like, oh my god, Patrick Wilson's performance. He is playing it so straight. It is very straight. It is incredible. I am obsessed with how stupid (laughs) this character is. He is bananas. He's just like, he goes from zero to evil so fast. So fast. Well, that's, I think, we'll get into this later, but I think the biggest criticism that I have of this movie is that because it's, it's under two hours, right? Yes. It's like 90 minutes. It's 90 minutes. We don't get to see anything. Like, there is something really cool here with the time and the way that we like something that Stephen King I think does really well which is like there is a great evil here in this seemingly unsus like unsuspecting uh field field in Kansas like this and I think that it's interesting the rock being the center of the U.S. like that's really cool there's a lot to dig into there but the main thing I felt upon finishing this movie was like Wait a second. I, I want I actually want more of this. I want I want a longer time to see Patrick Wilson descend into madness. I want to see what happens. We we only meet nice sweet boy Tobin who just got to this field and wild feral Tobin yeah. from way in the future that we never That's see. That's what we should call him. Feral Tobin. Feral Tobin. Who we never see again after this. We only see feral, feral Tobin in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Which is very bad because I'm like, wait, when does he become feral Tobin? When does he touch the rock? We don't see him do that. So like, there's just, it just becomes very confusing at this point when the movie is like, we're like three quarters of the way through, right? Like, no. really? We're only like halfway at this point? Not even. Really? I have way more notes left of stuff we haven't talked about. Than... Sure, but I feel like it's because more stuff happens in the later part of the movie. I feel like we were already pretty far in at this point, And I was like, I don't know anything that's going on. Like, I don't think this is going to get resolved properly because we did not see enough. 
We saw the very beginning of a lot of people's stories and the very end. And, like, nothing in the middle. And Let's I loop back to that. Yeah, I think we should I think we should loop back it. to that, because I think you're... I think you're right, and I also disagree with you a little bit. All so. right, I'm interested to see how you disagree. But let's let's get through the uh, the full picture, yeah. and then we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about all the minutiae, but they run from Patrick Wilson. They go to a bowling alley. They have some little infighting. Yeah. Cal drops Travis off a roof thinking he's killed him. Cal and... You don't want to talk about the relationship, relationships of it all here? Not really. Okay. I just want to touch on that this is is also when I kind of checked out because... Yeah, I think this is the worst part. This is why I want to skip it. Yeah, well, but it's, but it is, it's important to touch on because it's one of the things that makes this movie bad. Sure. That like Cal is, this is when they start getting into the minutia of like Cal hates Travis because he thinks Travis was going to like run out on Becky and like wasn't good to her about being pregnant and stuff. Also, he's like aggressively anti-abortion. Yes, he's very, very angry that Travis even suggested abortion as an as a topic yeah. um, when this baby came to be. And he is, what Travis says, is he's very obsessed with Becky. And we do kind of see that. Um, that he's very protective of her, that he's very, like, he's the one driving her to San Diego to, like, do this whole thing. And Travis seems to kind of, uh, inf- like you know, say that Cal wants to, like, have a sexual relationship with her. Yeah. Whenever, and, of course, it's our second incest movie in t- as many, you know, episodes. And I'm just like, all right, I guess we just... <laughs> if we're going to have siblings in a movie, I guess it's going to get talked about. And it was just like, okay, if we're going to get into that. And then Cal, like, absolutely drops Travis off a roof, and it's very, like, bad. But he, does, he doesn't do it in front of Becky, so... Yeah. But I but guess this Tobin is... sees it. Does he? Yep. Oh, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's just this is when the relationship stuff starts getting really like intense in a way where I was like, can we take it a few steps back? Like, I didn't need Cal to be in love with Becky to care about this situation. So it just started getting kind of bananas for me. Patrick Wilson is still chasing them, like fucking Michael Myers. Uh, he gets up on the roof, chases Cal into the back into the grass. He catches Cal, is like choking Cal. Cal looks over and sees. Like, a trail of his dead body, like, a dozen of them. Stretching, yeah, like, stretching through the grass. So many of mm-hmm. them. Um, as, like, uh, Ross says, like, all your choices always lead back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kills that cow. Yes. Like, he's killed many before, clearly. Like many cows. Um, then he finds Becky, who has ran off, tries to rape her for unknown reasons that was an element that like the rock told him to apparently the rock told him to he says um i wrote down a lot of quotes because everything that he says he says is insane (laughs) um blood is nice but tears are better for an old thirsty rock like that that's such a stephen king line i bet that's Uh, straight from the book i kind of want to just read my notes here do it now the grass is anthropomorphized many people with arms they carry becky somewhere spooky and strange like experimental theater should this kind of be should this just be a play i kind of think it should oh that's yes segues into your play Um, idea carvings of birth on the rock like stick figures they sacrifice the baby the stick figures do (laughs) the ground in front of the black rock crumbles the black rock has roots lots of them and there are people down there like masses of writhing, mud-covered limbs? What the fuck am I looking at? Next paragraph. I have said, what am I looking at, multiple times in the past ten minutes. Is this it, whole sequence is super surreal. Is this when, um... This is when Cal comes to deliver the baby. Okay, I was, this is when she, she has the baby. Cal comes to deliver the baby. Um, 
Can I read another Ross quote? If you want to. Out of the oven and baked just right. Aren't you the Mother Mary? I wonder when the wise men will come. Ross says that? No, what Cal says that. What will they bring us? Well, it's, it is Ross. It's not Cal. Oh, is she it? She thinks it's Cal because she's fucking dying. Yeah. As she's giving birth. I guess we don't know it's Ross yet. Cal starts feeding her grass and seeds. Uh, but is it actually the baby? It's the fucking mutilated, her own mutilated yeah. baby that she has just birthed. Again, uh, this is where I was like, I don't know what's real. I don't know what's actually happening. Cal is Patrick Wilson, which makes sense, obviously. Travis, who was thrown off the roof by Cal, mm-hmm. wakes up in this parking lot that's the parking lot of the bowling alley in the yeah. tall grass, um, takes off running, uh, does run into Tobin again, and Tobin's like, um, he's just going to keep killing us. This is just going to happen over and over again. Mm-hmm. He has a whole boring fight sequence with Patrick Wilson. Um, that's what he, like, reaches in. One of the cool, like, moments is Patrick Wilson just, like, reaches into the mud and pulls oh. out a bone yeah. that he then uses as a weapon. And I yeah. thought that was, like, a really cool, like, visual element of, uh-huh. like, the this field is giving him, like, a weapon. Web- but it's, yeah, like, a, field is but like, it's a bone, yes. right? Like, it's not, like, a, an axe or something. Right. Oh, boy. Travis wins the fight and touches the rock, gains the secret knowledge. Grass grows inside him. The rock has a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. There's a whole weird thing where, like, we see it, too, with Becky, where we see grass growing inside of their bodies. Like, in the ribcage. We see in her fetus, when she's pregnant, that there's, like, grass in the fetus. It's not very good to look at. It's not It's not well done. Um, He runs into Tobin again. He runs into Tobin, and he's like, you don't belong here. Neither does Becky. Gives him, gives Tobin Becky's Crab Shack necklace. Oh, yeah. Which I don't remember seeing earlier in the it movie. It happened, he, this is how Travis got it. When Travis, when when Feral Tobin took Travis to Becky's dead body in the very oh, beginning, yeah. he took it from her dead body and he gives it to Tobin now and then does my favorite shot of the movie, which is that he picks Tobin up and he just puts him in the grass, but then we see Tobin drop into the church. Yes, he's in... Uh, well, first he's in like this like shed. Yes. Like this mysterious empty shed. And he walks out and he's in the church, which is lit through this green stained glass. It looks fucking great. Yeah. He walks out. He's outside of the grass. And like he's he's leaving the church that was next to the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sees across the street that Becky and Cal are about ju- to... They've just stopped the car. They're about to go to the grass. And are going to go in to pursue the Tobin. Tobin that like lured them in. Yeah. And he runs over and he's like, don't fucking do it. He doesn't say that. He's like eight years old. Um, <laughs> he says, please don't. Travis is like, Travis told me to get you or whatever. He gives her the crab shack necklace. Uh, she has her realization. And it's also, I think it's like covered in blood. Like it it's is. like, it's clearly a, an omen of <laughs> foreboding. She's like, I never should have left. And Cal's like, what about that family in San Diego? And she, <laughs> she says, says the worst line of the movie. I have my own family now. And we l- both laughed our asses off. Yeah. We were like, that's it. Goodbye. So now, in the in the linear timeline, um, which I don't understand, Travis, who we... Pers- like, Travis, we see from beginning to end of him entering the grass to the end of the film, because um, he doesn't... We don't see him die. No, but presumably he does, right? I don't know when. You well, went at the end? Because this is the thing. Well, somewhere in the tall we grass. But we don't see Patrick Wilson kill him. I don't think he ever dies. You think he wanders the grass forever? Are you talking about the end of the movie? I'm talking about over the course of the events of the film. Oh, no. Yeah, Becky yeah, yeah. and Cal, and presumably Tobin, get killed a lot. I do not think Travis ever dies. No, no, no. He does not. Right. We see him the entire span of 
the events from his perspective, yes. which includes multiple he iterations. He's the only linear person. Again, this is the thing forever. we talk about yes, what's going yes, on yes. with time, but like I, we yes. see his whole thing, and now he's I guess he's just he who walks behind the rose. Yes, because now he just wanders the tall grass. Yeah, I forever. love Stephen King being like, "What if I just rewrote Children of the Corn and it was just different, but it was about grass instead?" And that's the movie. We zoom out from above, and we see that like so he like lays down in like the sunshine, having heard that um, Becky and Cal drive Becky away. and Cal and Tobin have driven he's away. Saved them. Uh, at least a version of them. And, like, it zooms out as, like, the we see the tall grass, and we see, like, his body just sort of disappear into it. Like, his, it's just, like... Yes. Gonna... I... That's the end of the movie, by the way. Yeah, sorry. I wanted to get into something. I, we've been ragging on this as we went through the plot, because the plot's kind of bananas, and there's a lot to kind of make fun of. But that does lead into one thing I thought was really, really great about this movie, is all of the shots of the grass look so good in, I think, a very both calming and terrifying way. The way that I feel like tall grass and corn is the same and that like you see these above shots several times of the grass moving in this way where you can't really tell where the wind is coming from because it's yeah. moving so many different ways at once. And it sort of looks like somebody's moving through it, but it could just be the wind and it's relaxing because it's beautiful. It's this beautiful like rich green, but you are kind of like if I set foot in there, that's it for me. Yeah. Like Tall grass and and corn mazes are the same way. Like they're threatening all on their own just because it can be so scary to get lost. I agree. It is like it. The imagery of the grass specifically, I think, really works. I think that um, and the foley work, I think, was actually really great. The more surreal stuff, like I was talking about, with the mud limbs and stuff, I don't necessarily like very much. No, and I it feels like abstract for the sake of being like confusing. Yeah, there's a shot where we see like Patrick Wilson with like his pupils white and he's like looking monstrous yeah i'm just like what i don't need it there was the whole thing you said about the anthropomorphized grass where they're like tribal people i was like i wrote down gruesome field people yeah as i've said before i don't there are so many times where i'm like i did not need a village of cannibals yeah or a but that's not what's happening it's not it's not because because they're magic but i really did not feel like this movie needed a village. It did not need a tribe. Like it just did not need people. It did not. It did not need that. But to there, feel... there aren't any. That's the thing. What do you mean? That's just like imagery. It doesn't matter. I don't need the imagery. Okay. I don't need any of it because the, if the idea is to make them more frightening, unnecessary. If the idea is to suggest that this is a large magic that has people, like what? What? What possible reason is it there for? Whatever it's there for, it doesn't work. Sure, and it's I, not. And it's yeah. not necessary. It doesn't agree. Or it doesn't work in this movie. I agree. But if this whole thing, everything we've talked about, was on stage, then you can have the suspension of disbelief of when she's being carried by the grass. It is like people dressed up like grass, like literally carrying. Sure, an actor. that's different though. That's not like I. If this was on stage, I also would not want there to be people. They would. They they would be people of the grass. Because that's what you need to stage it, but they yeah. would not be the people of this, which are just there to look scary. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. My other thing about how this should be a play is that so much of it is just people calling out um, each other's names and talking and then disappearing. Walking off stage and coming back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah disappearing yeah. from one place and appearing another. Mm-hmm. And I think that would work super well on stage and it doesn't have to fall prey to like some of the stupider like, visual things of this that are, like, horror movie moment. Yeah. Um, I think it would be... They don't really need to go to the bowling alley. It's not really necessary. You've got the bowling alley, um, but you can have just, like, a fuck ton of grass and then, like, a rock that comes out that you use as a prop for Mm -hmm. that, like, setting. I don't know. I I can see this so clearly on stage. Um, it's the kind of thing that Sideshow would do. Yeah. Sideshow Theater Company here in Chicago. It's like something like chalk where it's like sort of like 
abstract, like more minimal, Mm -hmm. but you just have like this basic set that you like modify a little bit to tell this like story about being lost and then found. Yes. I could like, I think it'd be so, so good. Yeah. Because I think anything um, with time travel or like doppelgangers, not that there are doppelgangers in this, but just the idea of like there being multiple versions of people running around is very... Not easy to do on stage, but possible in a really cool, challenging way. In a way that can... is cooler on stage than it is in a movie. Right, agreed. Right, because then you have to actually execute on that. Right. Um, and I think a big part of it is the like the suspension of disbelief that someone brings into a, a theater mm-hmm. um, versus when you're watching a movie right. that I think would help this along because it is, it is pretty abstract. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I and without and without any a lot of the like kind of silly action moments. Yeah, cut all could, those. None of that. You matters. could probably get more into what I want, which is more of explaining. Not you don't have to explain to me how the time works, but I think that again in comparing this to mind games because I think it's doing a very similar thing. Um, kind of. It is specifically because it's a loop. Like this is specifically a loop, right? Yes. Nobody's like time traveling. It's just happening over and over and over and over They're trapped in a loop, yeah. And in mind games, we see three, at least two, full loops. Yeah. So we, as an audience member, can go, oh my god, we're coming to the end of loop two. We can see that. So when we see a character from the second loop, or from the first loop, coming into the second loop, we're like, oh my god, he's about to run into so-and-so. And then when we get to the third loop, we're like, oh my God, if it plays through the same way, it's going to be the same exact thing. And that is so well done. And it's so great as an audience member to experience the full loop. I don't think we need to see full loops, but I agree with you that we need, the audience needs more to like tether us to. I think we need to understand the loop though, because here's when I first was like, wait a second, this is confusing because we see, right? Travis comes in. The other thing we didn't mention is that the first time we see Cal and Becky in the field, in the very, very beginning, Cal and Tobin are together, and he hears, and we've just seen Becky and Ross together, and then we hear her kind of like, no, 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 and struggling and screaming, and the next time we see Becky, she is dead. But then, of course, it's confusing because she's been decomposing, and it's like, how did she die? Did she starve, or was she attacked? It's a whole thing. But then when Travis and Tobin find Becky and Cal in the thing, that has not happened yet. She has never met Ross. That Becky that we see has never met Ross. So now we are not in a like a loop anymore. We have started our own, a different loop. It's like a parallel loop. Yeah. And so this is when it was like, this is not, this. things are not happening the same but way. But they occupy the same physical like field. Which yes. Because we There is a dead Becky bodies. here, yes. Yeah. And, then, and then when Cal dies... There are like 12 dead cows. Yeah. And so we... All in a row. Right. And so I think what's confusing about this is that we never saw loop one. Right. By the time we come into it, I guess, we're on loop like... It's not... We have no million. Idea. And so why does Feral Tobin... D- does he know Cal when they first meet? I don't know. Right. So like, it wouldn't make sense that he wouldn't because if the first... But he says that he knows Travis. And he knows he's like, Travis. We're special, like our connection is yes. special. Yes. So it just doesn't, it just stops making sense at a certain point because you're like, if this is a loop, then why are things happening so differently? And why? I just, I don't It's very I, messy. I don't even know how to, the right questions to ask because I don't even know what the movie wants me to understand or know. 
I so agree. I, I think it just like it's unfortunate because I really like this ty- kind of time travel mess. Like I yeah. really like time loops. I think they're really interesting, and I think you can do such cool stuff with them that this movie tried to do with like Becky making the phone call and like oh we didn't say that she tries she calls them at some point. Probably I think it's when she's by the rock, but she calls them at some point. She calls herself. Yeah. Or she calls Cal. Um, and says that to him, but of course it doesn't save, it doesn't help anything because Becky isn't even around when Cal hurts Travis. So it's just, it's just a mess. And I, it's unfortunate because I really think there's like something to love in this movie and I just didn't really. Do we hear about my favorite part of this movie? Sure. It is the, it is what I talk about often on this podcast, which is that the core of this is a cosmic horror story, which is an an encounter with the unknowable, the the foreign, the mysterious, that becomes an obsession to want to see the beyond. Mm-hmm. Everything that Ross says is about, like, once you touch it, you'll understand. Yeah. You'll see the greater it's purpose. It's like Bird Box. Also talked about It's a lot better than Bird Box. Um, <laughs> that concept is what, like, Bird Box. Though. Yes, I mean, we talked about it in a Bird Box episode. But it's this sort of, like, cosmic horror, this, like, Lovecraftian, like, obsession with gaining the true sight, mm-hmm. right? Like the the reality beyond reality that the grass helps perpetuate, right? Um, but we as audience members, it, it does not... Travis gains the secret knowledge, or, or the closest thing we really have to a protagonist, gains the secret knowledge, um, and it allows him to save everyone else by setting Tobin on this path. Uh-huh. But we don't get the secret knowledge. We don't know what he knows. We don't know what the grass knows. But by having our, our character learn that and doom himself to become who I jokingly called he who yeah. walks behind the rose. Uh, but keeping that mystery for us, I think, is so, so smart. Like, don't mm-hmm. over-explain this. Yeah. Stephen King, Stephen King over-explains yeah. everything to the point of... Honestly, nonsense. Yeah. I mean, the the explanation, you're reading It now, the explanation behind what's happening in It honestly reduces it to, like, cartoon nonsense. I agree. And it doesn't, you don't have to explain. They really do talk about the turtle so much throughout the entirety of it. It's a lot. You don't have to do that. And this resists those impulses, keeps it short and sweet. You know what actually does also resist those impulses, though, is Pet Cemetery. Yeah. He he does this this is what I was talking about. He does this cosmic horror thing very well in a lot of situations where I think this is something that gets lost in a lot of Stephen King adaptations and I'm glad it's kind of a part of this yeah. more is that so many of Stephen King's like quote unquote monsters or ideas are all based on this like giant evil this, this ancient, huge this ancient a- yeah. terrible evil that actually has so much more control than we even realize that like in it and pet cemetery not we don't get to see it as much in this because they they never leave the grass but in both of those movies the the monster the cosmic horror monster it has influence outside of yeah itself it controls like the world like it's it's so powerful but for some reason it's like i'm just going to terrorize dairy maine or like <laughs> this but one part it's it's but that's it's very why I interesting think the vagueness of this works in its in its benefit because we don't have to ever think why is it terrorizing Derry, Maine? Right. You know, it's just like they have stumbled upon something that they should not have stumbled upon. Something ancient. Yes. And, and which is evil. why I like the rock. I think that the rock. I love the black in rock. the grass. I is love the black Very rock. good. And that's also a very, I can like, it's so funny now that I've like read these two books that like I can picture like what the chapter titles are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. he, that I can just see how so much of this was written. Cause Joe Hill uh, is very similar in terms of like, 
how he writes and also the way that he is also trying to write a um, universe where like he references his own works in his in his books and he actually references Derry also in Nosferatu. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he and he and Stephen King are just, and I mean Owen King also who writes with Stephen King sometimes too uh, are writing a world where all of this fits together and I just think that that's that's like my favorite thing. It's very cool. Yeah. Anything you else want to say about this? Um, I mentioned movie? it earlier, but I really do like a lot of the Foley work. I think that like just them, there's a lot of them going through the mud and there's a lot of the grass moving that I just feel like was very evocative. Mm-hmm. Like very much like I'm, I'm in here and I hate it. <laughs> like I don't want to be in this grass. I want to go home. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to uh, drop this off a bowling alley roof? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yes. Why don't we go ahead and give our uh, our old friend the roulette another try? Our old frenemy. We may we may be expanding the pool. Yeah, the which to f- the search find parameters, the search parameters <laughs> of uh, of our podcast. More more information coming to, to come. A yes, feed feed near you. <laughs> um, but for now, why don't you um, spin that roulette and see what we find? Our next movie will be the Vivitch. Is it really? Yes. Is it still on Netflix? Yeah, I watched it two days ago. Oh my god. <laughs> do you want to do it again? Fuck yeah, I do. Okay, The Vivitch. Robert Eggers, The Vivitch. I am not kidding. At the time of this recording, I watched this movie two days ago. In advance of seeing The Lighthouse. Right. Well, you're going to watch it again. I guess maybe you don't really have to, but I'm going to watch it. I don't it. really have to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, Evan is so excited. Like, so thrilled. So this is, we should actually talk about a little bit about this. We will set this up on our next episode, but uh-huh. um, this is a movie. This is a A24 horror movie mm-hmm. that I would guess almost our entire listening audience has heard of. Yep, everyone's obsessed with it. Because it's it. That the two of us like less than pretty much Everybody everyone else who talks about yeah. horror. We saw it together, didn't we? Uh, yes, we did. It was overhyped for me, and I had a lot of issues with it, but everyone I've ever spoken to has been like, what is wrong with you? So I'm excited to revisit it. Especially now having seen The Lighthouse, we can actually, maybe we can do a little Lighthouse promo I would love to well. talk about The Lighthouse. <laughs> I am so thrilled that this is coming up now. Yeah, this is great. Um, so I'm really excited to watch again. It's been three years. It came out in 2016, right? Yes. So, no, 2015, maybe. 15? No, there's no way. Really? 2015. 2015. Okay, so I haven't seen it in four years. Um, I'm very excited to... I have seen it in re- two days. I'm really excited to revisit it and um, maybe come at it in a different way this time. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil how I feel, um, given that I'm actually given the opportunity on a podcast to talk about it, because yeah. I felt differently uh, having second viewing, yeah. rewatching it after many years. Four years, yeah. That's crazy. All right. The Vivitch. Until next time, you can check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at nowscreaming. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes, as long as it's positive. And tell your <laughs> friends to listen to this podcast. We have a good time here. Yeah, we have fun. We're our back. friends will have fun, We're too. We're back now for reals-ies, so... We are, yeah. On you can actually give us, a, give us, you know, as a recommendation. An actual will. recommendation, because we produce content. We do. We try. Thank you, as always, to Wes Craven, who 25 years ago released Wes Craven's New Nightmare, a movie we have covered on this podcast. Sure have. And is the closest thing that he uh, he did to cosmic horror, to the uh, ancient, unknowable That's evil... That's true. ...trying to claw its way into our world. I love that. I wish I read a great article about uh, my two favorite movies ever, Wes Craven's New Nightmare and 
In the Mouth of Madness, both of which came out 25 years ago, on The Ringer, written by yeah. Adam Naiman. We actually talked about In the Mouth of Madness a little bit in our last episode. Last episode. Plug for that Adam Naiman article because it felt like it was written specifically for us. It was, yeah. <laughs> Two right. fantastic movies. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.